Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. When I was an undergraduate taking my courses in psychology, I came to the realization, and I don't know, it was a difficult one, but as much I came to the realization I wanted to be in the field of psychology, I had to pick <laughs> which type of psychology, and uh, the one that appear, appealed to me the most, that appeared to be the one that I might be most interested in, was <laughs> paranormal psychology. Now, of course, everyone knows <laughs> anything that you put paranormal in front of is probably, uh, I don't want to call it fantasy. It's certainly not empirically sound, not of mainstream sort of science. Uh, looks like science, tastes like science, smells like science, but it really isn't. It's more liberal in that it's liberated from the hypothetical deductive model of reasoning, evidence-based research. Uh, it's speculative. There's all kinds of great words you could use to it. It's kind of like science fiction. Maybe that's the best I could say. Paranormal psychology is like science fiction. It's got all the base, the trappings of science, but it's so unprovable and probably, possibly improbable that most people are going to discount it. What I liked, however, about that the most, and I took a course in that. It was the only course, by the way, I took paranormal psychology, undergraduate. All the graduate work that I've done leading up to the doctorate that I have, master's and doctoral program, <laughs> all for paranormal psychology classes. This, by the way, was an elective as a graduate, undergraduate. And with that then... Uh, uh, I have finally come to realize it's a good trip, but it's not like a really sound trip that you can make. I did take also a science fiction elective in literature, which I enjoyed thoroughly as well. But the studies that, of all the studies that were offered in the paranormal psychology elective course at the bachelor's level, was the one, and maybe there were several, but particularly the one that comes to mind was the one that had to do with isolation tanks, chambers. Now, an isolation chamber really is like, oh, what could I describe it as? It's like a submarine that you fill full of water. Usually with submarines, you try to keep the water out. Isolation chambers... You try to get the water in. Uh, you get the water as close to 98.6 as humanly tolerable. And with that, you put a person in and uh, there's oxygen. So it would be that there would be at least enough space for them to get their head above the water and breathe and or you 
establish an apparatus that would be maybe like a scuba, <laughs> the uh, oxygen tanks uh, that they could breathe while underwater. But the notion of it was that you put them in a chamber filled full of water that was 98.6, or as close to that as humanly tolerable, so there would really be as little or minimal sensation. You <laughs> close the hatch, and it's completely dark in there. And then you record what goes through their mind in a conscious sort of way without all the external stimuli. Um, sight, sound, taste, uh, feeling, bodily sensation. Because really what you want to capture in paranormal psychology terms is you want to find out is there such a thing as a collective consciousness? Would there be anything to this notion of archetypes, which is one of those other sort of theories. Young, Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, somewhat of a contemporary of Sigmund Freud, somewhat of a psychoanalyst. His theory included archetypes, which required a collective consciousness that goes all the way back to the beginning of the species, humankind. And that all of that is somehow genetically encoded. We just don't have access to it because of all the noise from those five senses. And our mind being constantly required because of that constant stimulation to attend to those things. But what if you could actually remove all of those things and somehow find out is there any legitimacy to the theory? Would there be some recollection? And maybe not only the beginning of the species, maybe the beginning of all life. I mean, the idea that we're all somehow on planet Earth interconnected, that's kind of one of those other theories. I don't know that that's paranormal. It's got all, not only the makings of science, but much more credible and likely that at least in terms of the stuff that we're made of there's got to be the common dimension and with that whatever it is that it's taken to evolve us to this point or whatever creativity is about that's resulted in where we are and everything that otherwise is animate and alive around us that it's got to be connected, right? And in that, then, we are so surrounded environmentally. Uh, And that could include not only surrounded, but also internally. There's all sorts of internal sort of sensations that you might have uh, coming, emanating from within you versus outside, internal versus external, or external versus internal that then just make it very difficult for us to really claim that, to be able to eliminate that sufficient to give enough clearance, elimination of all the noise, 
to hear with some clarity that kind of voice <laughs> resonant within all living things. Uh, and even that's audio, right? Or auditory sensation. So I love that. I thought, well, that'd be so neat. It'd be like time travel, <laughs> science fiction things. It'd be sort of like, oh, well, you know, inside of us all, we could go back to the beginning, you know, as much as it's likely that we're all connected in that way. You can't really prove it. Maybe this would be empirically a way to measure it, test it, study it. Subjected to real science, hypothetical deductive research methodology, reasoning model, uh, research methodology, uh, validity, reliability, all those hallmarks of science. And uh, this would be great. <laughs> I could find out about not only my more immediate ancestors, but who knows? I may have come from an amoeba somewhere in what is now, I don't know, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, or wherever the puddle of water might have been at the time of Earth's formation, foundation. Who knows? Maybe you could go all the way back to the beginning of everything. I mean, conceivably, it's possible if that theory were to be true. That sounds exciting. That's got, ticks all the box, boxes. No wonder paranormal psychology was so exciting to me and interesting to me. I wanted to be on the front lines of it. It did my science fiction and it also ticked those boxes. And then also was in the field that I felt like I would probably be good at psychology. Uh, but again, it doesn't work that way and there's really not been any scientific proof or evidence has come from any of those studies. And I'm not saying that people have stopped studying that. And, but it's just it's like time travel. I think we all believe that it's possible, but we just really don't know how it works. And we're so far removed from it that you can't really expend a lot of time and energy because there are so many distractions and so much noise, etc., etc., etc. Captain Kirk, Star Trek kind of stuff. Also was a big Star Wars fan, too. Captain Kirk, Psychology Today, May, June of 2023. Stephen Murphy, Shigmatsu, EDD. Finding hope everywhere. The beauty isn't out there. It's down here. A universal perspective. Actor William Shatner was 90, Captain Kirk, when he flew to space and he had thought that the journey would be the ultimate catharsis of the connection between all living things. Something he had been looking for, being up there would be the next beautiful step to understanding the harmony of the universe. Everything he had thought and expected to see was wrong. There was no mystery, no majestic awe to behold. All I saw was death, Shatner says. He saw a cold, dark, black emptiness. When he turned back toward the light of home, he saw life. The curvature of the earth, the beige of the desert, the white of the clouds, and the blue of the sky. Nurturing, sustaining life. Mother Earth, Gaia. And I was leaving her. 
Shatner was filled with sadness and grief in viewing the contrast between the frightening coldness of space and the warm, nurturing earth below. The destruction of earth, the extinction of animal species, things that took billions of years to evolve, filled him with dread. His trip to space was supposed to be a celebration, but instead it felt like a funeral. Like others before him who had traveled to space and viewed earth from orbit, Shatner instinctively sensed the planet's fragility. He saw clearly that there are no borders on our planet except those we create in our minds and behaviors. All the ideas and concepts that divide us disappear when viewed from the perspective of orbit and the moon. The result is a shift in worldview and in identity. Shatner discovered that the beauty isn't out there, it's down here with all of us. Leaving that behind made his connection to our tiny planet even more profound. Research suggests that awe can make you happier, healthier, more humble, and more connected to the people around you. Shatner recommends that everyone take the trip, but it is a little expensive. Maybe we can learn from his experience and try to change the way we look at the planet and divisive things like countries, ethnicities, and religions. We can connect in shared harmony and shift our focus to all the wonderful things we have in common while respecting what makes us different. Shatner's experience reinforced his view of the power of our beautiful, mysterious collective existence and eventually a feeling of hope returned to his heart. Stephen Murphy Shigmatsu EDD Finding hope everywhere the beauty is out there it isn't out there it's down here a universal perspective again Psychology Today May, June 2023 now I don't know that any of us will in that same sort of a way that William Shatner and those that have gone before him to boldly seek out new lives and new civilizations or to seek out new life and new civilizations boldly go where no man has gone before I saw science fiction Star Trek I don't know that most of us will get that opportunity even as the article suggests that but I do think that it is good that somebody did Because in that same sort of a way, we probably can see more about where we came from and where we are now in that sort of perspective way than we could from anything inside of ourselves. Inside of ourselves, psychologically speaking, is all subjective. And I don't believe that there's any way, maybe it will happen, I don't want to rain on science fiction, the science fiction parade of possibility here. Uh, I don't know that it'll ever happen that we'll be able to take whatever is genetically encoded into us and somehow put it in some sort of form that's palatable, that we can somehow digest. <laughs> Again, that's not only olfactory, but there's taste <laughs> involved in that. It's a human sensation. And that's my point. Empirically so, we're limited to our five senses. 
six if you kind of count some dimension of spiritual intuition, but for sure, five. But this idea, though, how are we going to know it except that we could operate within those senses and experience it? And even so, subjectivity is so corrupted by our experiences, it's impossible to eliminate the noise. And by the way, that is what curses science, is subjectivity. We need to be objective. We need to be objective, see ourselves for who we are. We need to be objective, see not only ourselves for who we are, what might then otherwise constitute some sort of difficulty that requires an answer be found, some sort of maneuver logistically, something to do with life on earth in human dimension. And maybe it's only limited to the human, I think, as this whole article in the podcast today does illuminate to a point of an awareness. It's not just humans. It's all of us. But it is the ecosystem of earth as an identity and then in context to the vastness of space and this notion that if we did not be if we were not able if we did not see it from that level that vantage of objectivity a little further removed outside of ourselves Maybe we'll never be able to connect the dots, not because the dots cannot be connected, but because we're humanly incapable of doing that out of our five senses. And science is bound, no matter what we think of science conceptually, as in and of itself, the way to all the answers. It's not ever going to be able to provide or supply all the answers because it's bound to us. And we are not capable of taking all the different dimensions of reality into account. It's impossible. We don't even, can't even conceptualize it without putting it within the terms of the sensorium, the human sensorium. And I think that was the failing of that paranormal psychology course, as well as the isolation chamber. Um, not that they couldn't be true. You're just never going to prove them. It's improbable again. And they lose credibility if you can't subject them to empiricism in that research methodology, highest order of research methodology, establishment of validity, measurement of error. Because <laughs> there's always going to be the human error in measuring it. That's what I'm speaking specifically to. And with that, you're not going to really be able to do anything reliably to predict or see patterns. But there's something wonderful about stepping outside of yourself and garnering new data, though it's going to be somewhat limited. William Shatner, or astronauts in general, can see more of the Earth, but we can't see the solar system. We can't see the galaxy. We can't see the galaxies. We can't see what the black holes to boldly go where no man has gone before, to seek out new life. I mean, that's the whole Star Trek mantra. <laughs> and maybe that's also, I'm a product of that era. Maybe that's why I also was like so into science fiction and 
paranormal psychology. And, and it does seem like we're at a point where we've realized the idealism, the naivete, the infatuation has kind of burned off a little bit. We're still kind of dipping our toes, if not jumping in wholly into the fantasy realm. But you can't do that, right? We have to at least remain somewhat tethered, though it's not complete, it's not full. You have to be somewhat tethered to reality. And though these concepts may actually, such as the things I'm speaking of, astrophysics. <laughs> it's like, these are great books. I love to read them. Stephen Hawkins. I love to read them. I love to listen to. He, 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 can do, he can do all that science fiction stuff, although he doesn't speak to psychology as specific to what I do. It's very appealing to me how he puts things together. And I love big picture persons, and I love seeing it systemically. And I love to see how, again, in an ecosystem sort of way, the ecology, how all the systems rightly fit together. And there's a social psychology dimension to that, as well as an individual or personal kind of psychology dimension that and I operate in both realms and it's like I get that same thrill even if I know I'm operating in a bit tenuous position but as long as the person and I agree and it's sound we base it on objectivity I'm quite okay to experience that to take that foray into their narrative their storyline just as long as it's not too far out there and if it helps them, then great. And as long as it doesn't harm others, great. But in that same sort of a way, I think this article captures that. We're looking for perspective, which is very difficult to find new perspective, especially since there's so many people and we've heard it all, seen it all, done it all. We've got the internet that can provide us data, knowledge instantaneously. It's come up with anything new, creative. Just listen to music these days or listen to watch movies, not listen to, well, I guess there's an, an audio part of that. Go to a movie or stream it or whatever. The themes are just the same ones over and over and over again. Because we feel trapped in the subjectivity. But if you want a mind opener as we used to call it back in the 70s, a mind blower, so to speak. That's not drug-induced, by the way. And that, too, is probably why we're revisiting psychogenic uh, hallucinogens that have some sort of a psychogenic effect that can uh, psychoactively not only change our moods, but our mental state, ego death, psychedelics. Um, a bit hallucinogenic, um, but it's all about different perspective. William Shatner got to experience what most of us won't. Astronauts, I'm not smart enough to be an astronaut. They get to go up in space and they will do that. Maybe there'll be humans living on the Mars, the moon, whatever. Uh, SpaceX kind of stuff. But I don't know that I'm going to be one of them in my lifetime. And there may be several, maybe we'll do the Star Trek thing. Maybe we'll just be able to go from galaxy to galaxy 
And uh, maybe with that, we'll go into black holes and come out the other side or whatever the equivalent. Maybe all that that goes into Stephen, Stephen Hawkins' sort of astrophysics. Maybe all of that will come when they come to pass. True. I don't know. It's a bit of a reach. It's like that paranormal psychology class. It's intriguing, but I get overwhelmed. But put me in an isolation tank or a chamber and asking me to kind of collectively recall how we all got here. It seems intriguing. It seems useful. It seems remotely probable, possible, but not probable. It's not likely it's going to happen. Even if it were possible, there would be some means to do that. We'd still be left to human interpretation. We need outside objective perspective. And as much as, again, as it isn't out there, it's down here, I don't disagree with the title. I understand really what that's speaking to is just that objectivity, but I'd, I'd almost flip that. It isn't down here, it's out there, if out there is objectivity. If out there is a different perspective. If out there allows us to see systemically the whole. If out there allows us to see how all the parts rightly fit together. Out there may be in the psychotherapist's office. maybe in the psychological counselor's office. Because I do, once again, a bit of out there. You have to get out of yourself and your own head and into mine for a bit. And then I try to see it systemically and tie all the pieces together and see how you as an individual in that individual psychology sort of dimension rightly fit in. And then you can garner a lot of good data from other people. They're going to see it in ways that you can't. And all of that's good. All of that's important, maybe essential to coming up with the best answer for whatever the question might be. But a lot of people, though, want to stay in that subjective sort of dimension. They don't want to explore space, even if it's just from the vantage point of your therapist, your psychotherapist, psychological counselor. They certainly don't want to leave their home. They don't want to leave their immediate universe of constellation, of friends, they're very much tied up not only in subjectivity, uh, bound, literally, in subjectivity and their subjectivity, but it's their clique, it's their cohort, it's their group, it's their people. They don't want to understand about other people, other worlds. Uh, I believe that is the most important <laughs> message of the article. I, I'm an environmentalist. I don't know that I was, once again, generationally, when, when I, I was first trying to figure all this stuff out, uh, resources weren't so limited. The population wasn't so great. Uh, there wasn't so much in the way of wars or skirmishes or people wanting to control people, not at least on the scale, the potential to have impact in, in the way that it has today. So we didn't have to worry so much about that. There were nuclear weapons, and certainly there's all that that went through children of the 50s, 60s, and 70s when a lot of my formative years were. But at the same time, though, I don't know that I really appreciated the environment in the way I do today. I knew how beautiful it was. I knew that as a child I enjoyed it uh, and how innocent or how in innocence, that innocence, me being innocent to all of these things now that I know I want to go back. 
back. I want to return to earth. I want to go back. To, but it's not there. But the next best thing is to not really lose at least the awareness that brings to me of how special it is to be where you are right now. And it's not all gone, and maybe it won't ever be all gone, because as, as uh, we know Einstein, law of conservation of energy. Energy is neither created or destroyed, just changes shape and form. Life will continue to go on. But let's not miss the moment to celebrate it. And I think that's what this article is about. The beauty is... All of us put together in that way in a world that we're doing the best we can not to eliminate anything that's alive. <laughs> whether they're human or not, or whether it's human or not, if you want to personify it, give it a gender identity, whatever you want to do, it's okay with me. As long as we know we don't want to kill anything, we don't want to destroy anything. That doesn't mean there won't be <laughs> things that get destroyed, that evolution, but I don't want to be in charge of that. But I do want to do my part to fit in rightly. Again, not to harm myself or other people. I want to solve problems, not from such the selfish perspective. I want to encourage that with my patients. I don't want them to be so subjective that they're so disconnected that they don't either appreciate, as again the article would capture it, what we really have, but don't know how to rightly fit back into it with this new awareness, this new appreciation. It isn't all about you. It is about you, but it isn't all about you. And it's the balance between you and what it really is about, which may be others, but it's not just others in human terms. It's everything that we're a part of. The better the perspective, the better perspective being the more objective we can be, the better off in terms of rightly seeing how it all fits together. I think that's what I've taken from all my years of study. Uh, I still enjoy a good sci-fi movie, good sci-fi book. I still enjoy paranormal. <laughs> but I'm, I realize either it's like wacky out there or it's so far out there, nobody's going to prove it. But I like my mind challenged. But a bit of psychotherapy, psychological counseling has that same dimension. It's not challenging you with wackiness. It's all going to be evidence-based and empirically sound. But what it is going to be is giving you a chance to see it creatively and to see it in the biggest, the broadest of context so that you can understand what really your part in the world is all about and what part the world plays in an individual, unique way for you. That is, once more kind of multi-dimensional in this sense, or bivocational, I guess, or at least that concept. We're going to do that work, the vocational part, in psychology part, in individual terms, but we're also going to do that in social terms. And we might start with the sociological first and then get to the individual, or we may start with the individual first and get to the sociological. We may do it as a family kind of intervention. We may do it as a couple's intervention. We may do it as a corporate cultural intervention. We do industrial psychology is what they used to call it, but it's got that same sort of flavor when we do go in and do uh, some sort of efficiency, help the work culture work better, be people-oriented, all of those things that we're now aware of that we need socially 
to be the best that we can be and whatever it is that we do to contribute to the world. But we also know what it's about being an individual and working within that realm of the individual. And so it's a combo of both of those things. But that's what you're going to get, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe when you speak to not only me, but folks who are not necessarily my generation, but have that William Shatner perspective, <laughs> have that the final frontier kind of perspective. But, you know, don't be surprised if there's not necessarily a frontier or if it only does appear to be a horizon in the world. <laughs> it's not flat, folks. And so there's not an end to it. That's a mind blower, isn't it? That we measure everything in terms of the finite, but it really is infinite. But when you begin to at least mix into your very finite sort of limited perspective, the possibility of infinite, and then with that creativity, it's amazing how it'll change who you are as a person. It'll change your life goals. It'll help you see things that you failed to see. It'll help you see it from another person's perspective, to understand their perspective better. And I do think, again, that's how we all live together. At least humans. I even do that with animals. I know that that's dangerous because I'm not necessarily going to ever really understand what it's like to be a worm, lowly worm. <laughs> but at the same time, though, if it means that I don't harm lowly worm, then maybe that's a good thing. I have some empathy. Again, maybe it's not paranormal psychology so much but it is empathy and that's a psychological concept that I have for worms but I want to have that for all animals I want to have that for all plants I want to have that for all life I want to have that especially not only for all of those things that are non-human that's alive but I want to have it for humans <laughs> if, if we see it either from the larger to the lesser from the lesser to the larger in that kind of way of individual to a more social context whatever we would define as elements of that ecosystem that's probably the right way to look at it. And I think that's probably what you're going to get. Certainly I know, again, once more if you come see me. But <clears throat> I would imagine every individual that's listed on that Psychology Today directory has had at least some exposure to that and probably are practicing some greater, some lesser, uh, some variant of that. It's kind of basic, it's kind of simple. But if we're into our own head and we become too isolated, we usually get sick. And that's usually one of those hallmarks of psychological distress is isolation and loneliness. And we try to do the best we can to get people out of that kind of position or posture. That's what the podcast is all about. We're trying to, again, broaden your horizons, your perspectives, allow you to see things through a different lens, a, a broader one. I get to see it through a lot of lenses over the course of my practice. I've seen and heard a lot of perspectives. I've seen a lot of people, heard a lot of perspectives. And in that, then, I can certainly consolidate a lot of those, put a lot of those together in a way that you might not have had that same exposure and it doesn't cost you the same price it would to buy a ticket to take a ride into space. <laughs> we can do somewhat the same thing in my office. And I think it'll maybe give you the same advantage of awe and give you that same idea that uh, is so well 
captured in the article. I'd like to invite you back, though, if uh, you're still interested, (laughs) if you don't mind, a little bit of the paranormal, a little bit of the science fiction, and a lot of the psychological applications of that. If you don't mind the way I kind of put all that together, then certainly come back and join us again for our next edition of Word with Dave Clay. Until then, I want to wish you the best in terms of mind health. And I also want to say simply thanks.